redirect my thinking sometimes. You like when there was that little glitch in the song service? Instead of having sympathy for my wife, I was thinking, boy, I sure hope that doesn't happen to me during my sermon. (laughs) And then, speaking of which, I don't know why. And by the way, I, I just am so glad that we have men up front. Um, when we pastored in Eastern Oregon, it was like pulling teeth. Yeah, I mean, men would get up sometimes to do specials, but in, regularly, no. You didn't, I was the only guy on the platform. So, you know, Dan and Mike and Gary and Gail and Dean, when you read the scripture, I'm just so glad that we have men involved in our worship service that have... Uh, But I was looking at our three men and thinking today, that looks like a group of professors sitting up there. (laughs) There's more of those thoughts that go, you know, the goatee and the beards and the glasses and the sweater vests. And (laughs) anyway, I don't know. Okay, well, the more important stuff. Romans chapter 12. um, I will tell you, I didn't intend to still be here. (laughs) I intended to be in 1 Corinthians by this time, but my first sermon ended up taking two weeks, and, and so I'm, I'm continuing on Romans chapter 12 today. And I know our focus is on gifts, God's gifts, the spiritual gifts. And uh, you're probably wondering, well, when is he actually going to talk about the gifts? And I'm not going to talk much about them again today because... Those, it, it's pretty, I think, straightforward. When you talk about the lit list of gifts, you can go and find definitions for those things. The important thing is, you know, what's our attitude to be? How do we use these things? Those kinds of things. Um, you know, how do we prepare our hearts for service with the gifts God has given us? So that's, that's, uh, been my focus, the, uh, the last couple of weeks and, and again this week and, and I hope you find it. Uh, helpful as we talk about God's spiritual gifts to us. Um, after World War II ended, a group of German students volunteered to help rebuild an English cathedral in London. That's kind of an impressive just to think about that, isn't it? It had been severely damaged by bombing. They did well with most of the cathedral, except one statue that had been shattered in many pieces, a marble statue of Jesus Christ. It once stood with Christ standing in a position with arms outstretched. The inscription under it read, Come unto me. They were able to find and reconstruct all of the statue except for the hands which had been completely demolished. So, when finished, they had a statue of Jesus with outstretched arms and no hands. They couldn't decide what to do. Do we try to make new hands? Do we leave it as it is? They decided to leave it be. And you can go to London today and see the marble statue of Jesus standing there with no hands, but the inscription, they did change. Remember, it used to say, come unto me. Now it says, he has no hands but ours. And really, that's what the gifts are about. 
Jesus has given these things that really become our hands in the church and in the world. And so as, as we think about the gifts and being Jesus' hands, first of all, we need to understand that using our gifts begins with the right attitude. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. That sounds, well, of course, Paul wrote Romans too, so that may be why there's some things in Philippians that sound familiar, because we see some of those same kinds of thoughts expressed in Romans chapter 12. In fact, I want to read to you from a little different version this morning. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a home where uh, King James predominated, and my dad was a tried-and-true King James guy till the end of his life. And I've got some of his Bibles. I'm not sure what to do with them because they are plumb worn out. I'm not kidding you. The bindings are gone. Pages are missing. They're all wrinkled. And, and, um, but he loved King James. And um, as I grew and, and some of these other versions began to come to the forefront, I remember when the Living Bible came out. Do you remember that? And then the NIV, which is the one I tended to glom onto and still use a lot. But I like to look at some of these other versions just to see how they may uh, word things just a little differently. And I want to read you this morning. This is the New Living Translation from the passage that Gail shared with us. And it says this, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, Paul's speaking here, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we, be, we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. And not, remember, grace is, we're, we're getting th- what we don't deserve. Okay? In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Rick Warren in Purpose Driven Life says this, The Bible warns us never to compare ourselves to others. And he quotes Galatians 6.4, again from the New Living, Pay careful attention to your own work, For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. 
And he goes on to say, there are two reasons why you should never compare your ministry or the results of your ministry with anyone else. First, you will always be able to find someone who seems to be doing a better job than you, and you will become discouraged. Boy, that happens to me. I'm not that I get discouraged, but it's easy for me to look at other pastors and say, wow, those guys are really good. I mean, you know, I sit under somebody, I don't get to do it very often, I sit under someone else's preaching and it's like, man, I wish I was that good. I mean, it's very easy to do, isn't it? And, and take your gift, whatever it is, it's very easy to look at someone with the same or similar gifts and say, man, I wish I could use my gift as good as they use it. There's so much, it gets us into trouble. Okay, so first, you'll always be able to find someone who seems to be doing a better job than you, and you'll you'll become discouraged. Or, you'll always be able to find someone who doesn't seem as effective as you, and you will get full of pride. (laughs) Either attitude will take you out of service and rob you of joy. Uh, A pastor shared this illustration He entitled it, Playing in God's Orchestra. He said, when I was in the fifth grade, our entire fifth grade class at Anderson Elementary School was required to take band. I remember sitting in elementary band. At a certain hour of each day, we would gather in the band room and attempt to play our instruments. We didn't really have a choice which instruments we played. The instructor simply assigned us instruments based on what the school had available and what he thought each kid was most suited for. I was assigned the saxophone. And that year, the music instructor had one goal, to help turn squeaks into notes. I honestly don't know how he survived. We would go home with sheet music to practice, and each day we and each day we gathered to play. But when the teacher raised his baton and motioned for us to begin, it sounded like a car accident. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> Squeak, squonk, squonk. We played different tempos. We played different volumes. We didn't watch the conductor, and we didn't listen to each other. And yet, in spite of how poorly we played, it was a new experience, and so each one of us got a certain degree of pleasure out of hearing ourselves play. Only I didn't want to to hear the people around me play, I just wanted to hear myself play. And I thought I was really good. And I thought my instrument was cooler than everyone else's. So naturally, I thought the people around me should hear me play too. And so my objective was to play louder than everyone else. And this was the mindset of everyone in the room. It was a room full of soloists. And it was terrible. And then he says, Paul explicitly says that he's asking for sober self-assessment. Be realistic. Think of yourself with sober judgment. One of the keys to effectively serving and working together for the kingdom of God and the church is to honestly and soberly look at our gifts and accept what we have to offer and use those gifts. The reason we are not to think too highly of ourselves or too low of ourselves is because the gifts we have are not of our own working They are from God. These are God's gifts to you. So you didn't... 
I had a friend, sorry, I had a friend who preached uh, a sermon. He was an evangelist on the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit does it. So to kind of add emphasis at the end of his message, and usually when he went to preach at a church, his wife was not present. He traveled. In this particular case, she was. So at the end of his message, to kind of emphasize the point that this is a work of the Spirit in you, he said, you know, some of us strain and grunt and, and strive to produce the, the fruit of the Spirit, and all that ever comes out is a couple of raisins. His wife said, Paul, you need to change that illustration. <laughs> the point is, we do not create these gifts in ourselves. We cannot strive and strain to produce... A, a, a spiritual gift in ourselves. It is something that God gives believers when they accept Jesus Christ as Savior. It's a gift. It is given to us. God created it in, in us. So we need to have a right attitude about those things, knowing this is not of ourselves. This is something God has given us. He knew what he was doing. He, did you ever have a Christmas when you asked for something and you got something else? And um, the great thing about God is he knows what the perfect gift for every one of us is. You know? So you might have wished for something else, but God gave you what he know, knows you would use the best. What fits you? You know, uh, Next Sunday morning, I'm going to talk about, and I mentioned this last week, you know, spiritual gifts and our heart, our passions, and our abilities, and our personality, and our experience. God knows the gift you need in conjunction with all those other things that are part of your life that is going to work best for you in the service of the kingdom. Amen? Okay. Number two, using our gift is about understanding that we belong to something bigger than ourselves. We're talking about a bigger picture here, and we get to be involved in it. And guess what? It's an eternal thing. It's not all over when they have our funeral service. It's not all over. This is eternal. It's something bigger than ourselves. When building a house, do you know of anyone who uses a screwdriver to build the entire house and no other tool? That would be a challenge. I guess there'd be somebody out there who'd try to set a new Guinness record to do that, but um, that'd be pretty impressive if they ever got it done. We're to take our diverse talents that God has gifted us with and use them for the common cause of Christ in the kingdom. You know, we, we want to build our church, don't we? We want our church to grow, but folks, that's part of the bigger picture of building the kingdom, isn't it? That's what we're about. We're involved in something bigger than ourselves. Um, in the message in verses 4 and 5 of, of Romans chapter 12, it reads this way. In this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. 
Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole. That is true. My hand gets its meaning from the fact that it's part of this thing. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as part of this body. But as a, ch- as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? It's kind of an interesting picture. As a, but as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? We have to be a part attached to the body, don't we? So, we fi- so since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioned parts of Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. And I'm going to tell you that when you try to be something you aren't, you're setting yourself up for burnout. So, Paul's, Paul's doing a couple of things here. First of all, he's asking us to remember that we are part of one body. Second, he asks us to remember that we're not all the same in the body, just as all of our parts aren't the same. Just like it takes more than a screwdriver to build a house, it takes a variety of tools. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 14, Paul writes this, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they still form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Praise the Lord. What a wonderful variety is sitting right here in this room today. But Paul says, I want you to understand that in spite of all these parts, we are one. Even though we don't share the same function. My body is one. This is one body. But I've got all these things that function differently. Paul emphatically asserts both of these at the same time. Oneness, but different function. Right? Okay? Christian unity, rightly understood, does not undercut the differences that exist among Christians. And differences among Christians are not, under, are not to undercut the reality of Christian unity. Now they can, but Paul says that's not to happen. One size does not fit all in the kingdom of God. There are differing gifts. And Paul stresses this in verse 4. All the members do not have the same function. And he stresses it again in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. And then he lists some there for us. So there are differing gifts in the body. Not everybody has the same set of gifts. And with good reason. Can you imagine what would not get done if we all had the same gifts? 
How limited would we be in our effectiveness if we all had the same gift? We're all evangelists. Now, we are all supposed to be involved in evangelism, but some people have that gift. They're just out there tearing it up. Every conversation comes around to Jesus somehow. It's amazing. Uh, one of our speakers at um, Re- the Revi Conference said, you know, uh, that's not a strong gift. G- evangelism isn't my gift. I'm a teacher, pastor. He says, my brother is an evangelist. He can sneeze and people will come to the altar. <laughs> if you can sneeze and, come to, and people come to the altar, you really do have the gift of evangelism. But we all are to, are to be evangelistic in some way. And yet, we, we do have these different gifts in the body of Christ. Well, if we were all evangelists, we might have people flocking in here that there might be no one to lead music or no one to disciple and teach these people that had come. It just And, and no one to serve them and no one to make sure the lights were on and the coffee was made because we've got the helper serving people and the list goes on and on. We need them all. Uh, a writer named Gary Inrig wrote a book entitled Life in His Body, and he says this, Several years ago, two students graduated from the Chicago Kent College of Law. The highest-ranking student in the class was a blind man named Overton, and when he received his honor, he insisted that half the credit should go to his friend, Kasperzak. They had met one another in school when the armless Mr. Kasperzak had guided the blind Mr. Overton down a flight of stairs. This acquaintance ripened into a friendship and a beautiful example of interdependence. The blind man carried the books which the armless man read aloud when they studied together, and thus the individual deficiency of each was compensated for by the other. After their their graduation, they planned to practice law together. Wow. Oh, that we would work together like that in the body of Christ. The third thing, and here we're actually going to touch on some individual gifts. Finally, Pastor, he's getting around to that. Using our gift means using our gift. Using our gift means using our gift. There's no such thing as gift trading. Remember that game Pit? You know? Did anybody ever play Pit? You had these, yeah, wheat and barley and corn, and you're trying to get so many of these of the same set, and you know, and so you'd say, three, 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 I'm trading three, three. We were trading to get what we wanted. That doesn't work with gifts. Not with spiritual gifts. It doesn't. Remember those gifts exchange at Christmas, you know? They're the white, and everybody brings a package, and you set them up, and everybody sits around, and you take a number, and number one goes first. And they open up this gift, and number three down here is looking and says, I like what number one got. And we can take it from each other. Okay, I'm not going to open one over. I want that one. We, that doesn't work with spiritual gifts. I can't say to Dan, I like your gift and I want it. How about trading me for mine? doesn't work that way. We don't trade spiritual gifts. 
our, our job is to use the gift that God has given us. An artist took a paintbrush and painted a picture in two main colors. He called the picture Arrangement in Gray and Black, Number One. Citing title. The artist listened to a critic that didn't like the painting and threw the picture in a corner and it gathered dust for many years. One day, someone saw the picture and offered to buy gray and black. Today, the painting is considered a masterpiece and hangs in a museum. The picture has a new name. You might have heard of it. Whistler's Mother. And if you do look at that picture, the primary colors there are gray and black. Many copies have been made and sold. What a pessimist saw as worthless an optimist saw as valuable. What made the difference between a dust catcher and a work of art? Seeing the value. Using our gift because we see the value in it. Do you see what I'm saying? Our gift, no matter what it is, has value in the body of Christ. God would not have given us the gift if it didn't have value. And the gift that God has given us is the gift or gifts that we are supposed to use. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 17-19 through 19, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them. Listen to this next phrase. He's arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? <clears throat> Ephesians 4.16 From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up as each part does its work. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up as each part does its work. Folks, we are praying about being a growing church. It sounds to me like this scripture is saying, in order for that to happen, one of the things that we need to be doing is for each part to do its work. And so we're going to go now then to these, this uh, kind of a short list of, of gifts that, are, that Paul mentions in Romans chapter 12. And by the way, um, when you look at the gifts lists that are out there, you'll see some as short as eight and some as long as 30-some. And I think the one we'll be using next week in our Sunday school time together, I think, is a list of 18. So it depends on the perspective of the particular theologian or pastor, whoever, that develops these lists. But Paul lists some here. And the first one he lists is prophesying. That's the gift of speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, Pastors have that gift. All right? It's pretty important if you're going to be preaching because that's basically when we're talking about prophesying in this sense, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about 
you know, this future kind of things. This is going to happen. Um, but we're talking about what this says here, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean it can't result in predicting future events, but generally, in the context of the church and as applies to a pastor, it's preaching the word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This gift is often thought of as the ability to predict future events. In the Old Testament, that's how it was often exhibited. But in the New Testament, this gift is seen as proclaiming what was taking place in Jesus Christ, who he was and why he came, and what has been revealed by Christ concerning future events. By Christ concerning future events, all right? So prophesying. Serving. I'm really, 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 really thankful for people with the gift of service. You probably are too. There's a lot of stuff that wouldn't happen if there weren't servants out there. I mean, that's their heart. They don't care if they're acknowledged, if they're ever up front. In fact, most of those kind of people just soon work behind the scenes. You know, if I called them up front, they'd be all embarrassed and, you know. But they love to do what they do. That's their gift. Serving. The word used here is often used of a servant or person who serves and ministers to other in very, others in very practical ways. Making the coffee in the morning is pretty practical. And we would hate to see what would happen if there were no coffee in the morning. This gift endows a very special ability to serve in ways that builds others up and meets needs in ways that people are truly helped and ministered to. Teaching. This is the ability to explain and ground people in the truth. When I've taken spiritual gifts inventories in the past, this is usually the top or the second in my list. So I hope that you would say, well, yes, Pastor, that's true. It's obvious. If you're saying, really? <laughs> then I need to take the survey with you next Sunday morning and find out why I went wrong. The ability to explain and ground people in the truth. The Word of God needs not only proclamation by those with the gift of prophecy, but explanation by those with the gift of teaching. And all the people said, encouraging. The Greek word is... Parakalesi, which means exhortation. This is the ability to generate excitement, to motivate, advise, encourage, and warn people. Did you ever think about all those things and being included in the gift of encouragement? The dominant factors would be encouragement and motivation. It is the gift that arouses people to get up and get busy fulfilling their ministry or to keep going when facing challenges. And boy, that's another thing. You may, that may not be your specific gift, but we're all called to be encouragers in some way. And, and I think our church does a great job of that. Contributing to the needs of others. This is the gift of giving one's earthly possessions, such as money or clothing or food, those kinds of things that meet the needs of others in a very practical and very often material and physical way. Paul says, if this is your gift, be generous. Be generous. Leadership. 
This is the gift of administration, authority, leading. This gift is to be exercised with diligence to remain focused, intent, and dedicated. And then mercy. This is the gift that is displayed through compassion and kindness. Did I ever tell you that I, uh, I went to um, a new church specialties conference one time, and as part of that, we had to take this uh, gifts test. And they gave us a score in each area, because you're going to be stronger in some than others. I got a zero in mercy. I, I think the test was wrong. I just... It's not good to get a zero in mercy. I, I know why I got that zero, and I'll explain to you sometime. But. So, it's displayed through compassion and kindness. The person who shows mercy is to do so cheerfully. I think that may be where I have fallen down a little bit. I know. Um, Wayne Cordero, who's, who pastors in the Hawaiian Islands and has done so for a number of years, pastors a very large church there, He wrote a book called Doing Church as a Team, and I want to close with this quote from him this morning. Getting involved in your church by using your gifts will accelerate your spiritual growth immensely. God designed us that way. Don't head for the grandstands when you enter the kingdom of God. You know what he's saying there? Okay, we want you in the game, not watching. Head for the playing field. That's where the excitement is. That's where the action is. You know, I I participated in some sports through my life, and I didn't like sitting on the bench. Most people don't. You should want to be in the game. If you're content to be on the bench, you probably shouldn't be out for the sport to begin with. Amen? If you're content to sit on the bench in the church... You've got to question why you're here, don't you? We need to be involved in the game and to use those gifts that God has given us in service and ministry and what the Bible calls the edification of one another. And then let it spill over beyond the walls of the church to impact Jesus, impact people for Jesus, who may not be inside the walls of the church, but we hope will be someday. Why not us? Pray with me. Father, thank you today for the instruction of your word to us. And how, I mean, it's, this isn't something you can say, well, that only applied to people 2,000 years ago. No, 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 no. It's as real and meaningful and practical and applicable today as it was the day Paul penned those words on paper for us to have 2,000 years later. Because, Father, you know people. And you know we're basically the same as, as people were 2,000 years ago. And you know there's still a need for the use of gifts within the body of Christ. It's essential if we're going to accomplish what you called us to accomplish as a people who call themselves Christians. So Lord God, as you speak to us, as you've spoken to us last week and the week before and today and again I pray next week, May we be careful, first of all, to examine our own hearts and say, Lord God, am I using my gift or gifts as intended 
faithfully in the service of the kingdom through the church and maybe outside the walls. And Father, if there are some who really don't know, what is my gift? I pray that in our time next week, you will give them clarity so they can begin participating through the use of their gifts in this wonderful thing we call the body of Christ, your church. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today. It's been good to be together. Grace and peace. God bless you as you go.